turn together to the Word of God in John 18. We'll read there the first 23 verses of John 18. The sermon text tonight is in the first nine verses of the chapter. Jesus had spoken these words. He went forth with his disciples over the brook Kedron, where was a garden into the which he entered and his disciples. Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place, for Jesus oft times resorted thither with his disciples. Judas then having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. As soon then as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Then asked he them again, Whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. If therefore ye seek me, let these go their way, that the saying might be fulfilled which he spake, of them which thou gavest me have I lost none. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Then said Jesus unto Peter, Put up thy sword into thy sheath. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? Then the band and the captain and officers of the Jews took Jesus and bound him and led him away to Annas first, for he was father-in-law to Caiaphas, which was the high priest that same year. Now Caiaphas was he which gave counsel to the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. Then Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. That disciple was known unto the high priest and went in with Jesus into the palace of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door without. Then went out that other disciple, which was known unto the high priest, and spake unto her that kept the door, and brought in Peter. And said the damsel that kept the door unto Peter, Art not thou also one of this man's disciples? He saith, I am not. And the servants and officers stood there who had made a fire of coals, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves, and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. The high priest then asked Jesus of his disciples and of his doctrine. 
Jesus answered him, I spake openly to the world. I ever taught in the synagogue and in the temple, whether the Jews always resort. Then in secret have I said nothing. Why askest thou me? Ask them which heard me what I have said unto them. Behold, they know what I said. And When he had thus spoken, one of the officers which stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Answerest thou the high priest so? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why smitest thou me? And that's as far as we read God's word this evening. In John 10, my dear fellow believers, John 10, where Jesus reminds us of his work as the great shepherd of his people, Jesus makes a remarkable statement looking ahead to his death on the cross. John 10, verses 17 and 18, he says, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. It's that word of Jesus in John 10 that's beautifully illustrated in the story that's told in our text this evening, the wonderful truth that no one takes his life away, but that he lays it down of himself, is the message of the Word of God in John 18, verses 1 through 9. And it's to that Word of God that I call your attention this evening with the theme, the capture of the Son of God. But I will admit right at the beginning of this evening's sermon that to call this a capture is not really the case. If it's a capture, it was the strangest capture that ever happened in the history of this world. But for lack of a better word, that's the theme of this evening's sermon. And we're going to look first at the fact that this all took place in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Word of God makes mention of that, especially 
in verse 2, Judas also which betrayed him knew the place, for Jesus oft times resorted thither with his disciples. And then we're going to look at the story of what happened there in the garden when Jesus went out to meet Judas and those who had come to capture him. That story is told especially in verses 4 and following. And there you have the story that none of the other gospel accounts tell, the story of Jesus identifying himself to those who came to capture him to their utter confusion. They went backward and fell to the ground, the word of God says, when Jesus told them the first time, I am he. And then we're going to look too at the fact that after Jesus made them go backward and fell to the ground, he simply gave himself into their hands, surrendered to them and to all of their evil purposes. So those three things this evening, all of this, as you probably know, takes place on the night that Jesus ate the last Passover and celebrated the first Lord's Supper with his disciples. It's probably about midnight when the events of the passage took place, and therefore also this was just before Jesus was crucified. It would only be a few hours after this that they nailed him to his cross. Jesus had celebrated the Lord's Supper with his disciples in an upper room in Jerusalem and had taken the little time that was left to him and his disciples to teach them, to teach them especially about his going away from them, although they did not yet understand what he was talking about. And then he prayed. John 17 records that prayer, prayed for them and for us. And it's especially to that prayer that John 18 verse 1 has reference when Jesus had spoken these words. Perhaps the reference is especially to what Jesus said in that prayer, verse 13 of John 17, and now I come to thee. After he had spoken these words, the word of God says, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Kedron, where was a garden into the which he entered, and his disciples. The garden, as I'm sure you know, was the garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives. 
the other side of the Kedron Valley from Jerusalem. And as the Word of God reminds us, Jesus had often been there with his disciples. In fact, he had been there just a few days before telling them about the destruction of Jerusalem and about the signs of his coming. Now he's back, although it's the middle of the night, with his disciples. John doesn't tell us that part of the story, but Jesus spent the time there in the Garden of Gethsemane agonizing over his suffering and death. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Agonizing to the point, the Bible says, where his sweat was as great drops of blood falling to the ground. Suffering and agony that's difficult for us to comprehend, but which is a reminder, too, of the fact that he not only had to suffer the death of the cross, but all the wrath of God against our sins. It's to that wrath that he referred when he said, let this cup pass from me. And to that same wrath of God, to which he referred when he said to Peter after Peter tried to defend him, the cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? Now the fact that this takes place in the Garden of Gethsemane and that that's recorded here in the Word of God is important. John doesn't mention that just as an interesting detail of the story of Jesus' capture, but it's important. The Word of God takes special note of that here in John 18 for a good reason, especially of the fact that Judas knew that he could find Jesus there. Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place. For Jesus oft times resorted thither with his disciples. The word of God is saying to us there, Jesus wasn't trying to hide from Judas. He wasn't fleeing his enemies, as we would probably do, but he went deliberately to a place where Judas and those who were with Judas could find him. And that's part of the emphasis in this passage on the fact that in all of these events, it was not wicked men who controlled what was happening, but Jesus himself, 
that controlled these events and could controlled them in such a way that his suffering and death became an act of perfect obedience to his father. That was what he was talking about in John 10 when he said, No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. One way of thinking of that is to think of Jesus' death, suffering and death, as a sacrifice, but to think of Jesus himself not only as the lamb that was sacrificed, but as the priest who offered that sacrifice. He, in his death on the cross, was both. And it's especially that wonderful truth that Jesus was not only the lamb, but also the priest, offering himself as a sacrifice for sin that stands out in this passage. First of all, in the fact that Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray and to agonize there, and to show us something of what he would suffer on our behalf, to our amazement and wonder, but also so that he could easily be found by Judas and those who came with him. It's not, I say it again, It's not just a part of the story as it's told here in John 18 that Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane. It's part of the gospel of the grace, the saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That gospel as it focuses here on his perfect, obedience to the Father on our behalf. And that is the emphasis, too, in what happened in the garden. While Jesus was still talking to his disciples in the upper room and praying for them and for us, then Judas who had been sent away by Jesus, Judas had gone to report to the leaders of the Jews and to make it clear to them that they had to change their plans. You'll remember that they had planned to kill Jesus after the Passover was over and had planned that because they were afraid of the people. But Jesus, who was the true lamb of the Passover, had to die during the Passover and not after. And so he sent Judas from the upper room with his report to the leaders of the Jews. And they acted accordingly and decided that they had to arrest Jesus then and there. 
and sent Judas with a band, the word of God says, and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees. That's a reminder of the fact, first of all, that there was a multitude, it's called that in the other gospel accounts, who came to arrest Jesus. An amazing thing, you know, that so many came to arrest one unarmed man But the reference to a band means, too, that the Romans were involved in this. The the word band refers there to a detachment of Roman soldiers and is sometimes used to describe what we would call a battalion of soldiers, emphasizing once again the fact that it was a large number, a multitude indeed, who came to arrest Jesus in the garden, soldiers along with the temple guards and the servants of the high priest and the leaders of the Jews. They came with lanterns and torches and weapons. But because this was the middle of the night, there must have been a great deal of confusion We know from the other gospel accounts that Judas attempted to identify Jesus by kissing him. But apparently many of those who had come with Judas didn't see what Judas had done, didn't know even then who it was that they had come to capture. But Jesus, for the same reason that he had gone to the garden in the first place, went to meet them and identified himself to them. Whom seek ye? And when they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth, and he told them, I'm the one whom you're looking for. But the first time he told them that, Scripture says, they went backward and fell to the ground. I'm reasonably certain that you probably have the wrong picture of that in your mind. That you probably think of that in terms of this mob of soldiers and Jews being, as it were, slammed on their backs on the ground in front of Jesus. But that's not what the Word of God is describing here. Picture is not of those words of Jesus, I am he, knocking them on their backs on the ground. But the picture you must have of this is of that whole mob being, as it were, pushed back by the word of Jesus and then falling on their faces in front of him. 
as though they were worshiping him and acknowledging who and what he was doing what every knee will do when Jesus comes again at the end of the world. When every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what happened in the garden. If you look for a you can figure that out for yourself if you look up those words fell to the ground everywhere in scripture when they're used to describe someone falling in the presence of someone else they refer to someone falling on their face in front of another person and that's what happened here. They went backward and fell, every one of them, Judas who was with them too, on their faces in the presence of our Savior, Jesus Christ. But then to the dismay of his disciples who must have expected at that point that Jesus would would destroy his enemies and would begin the work of establishing an earthly kingdom to the dismay of his disciples when that mob had struggled back to its feet again. When Jesus asked them a second time, Whom seek ye? Nothing happened. Except that Jesus identified himself once again and allowed himself, as the word of God tells us in verse 12, to be taken and bound by his enemies and led away. Why? Why did Jesus first make that wonderful display of his power and then simply surrender to his enemies. You can understand when you think of that why Peter took his sword and struck at the person who was nearest to them. He thought, this is it. Now it's time to defend my Lord against his enemies. He's given us in what's happened to them the sign we were waiting for and needed. But Jesus, as we know from the account here, told Peter to put his sword away, gave himself into the hands of Judas and the multitude who came to arrest him. Why? Why is that recorded in the Word of God? You know? Well, it's recorded first of all, although that's not the most important reason, 
It's recorded, first of all, because his enemies had to be reminded one more time of who Jesus was and of his power as the Son of God. They had seen that through the years of his earthly ministry, in his miracles and in his teaching. But now that the hour of his death had come, they had to be reminded of who and what he was. And had to be reminded then of the fact that the one whom they were crucifying was the Son of God. In spite of all their hatred of him and their denials of his teaching and miracles, they had to see one more time that they were laying their wicked hands on him whom God had sent. And for those of them who never believed, that would be their condemnation, their judgment as well. But it wasn't even especially for them that Jesus made himself known as the Son of God. He did that for us as well. We may never forget in the whole story of Jesus' suffering and death that it was God's Son, God come in the flesh, who suffered on our behalf. That is the heart of the gospel of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Like us in all things to be sure, born in our flesh and able to suffer and die as we do, but the Son of God in our flesh, the Son of God who was bit on and slapped and beaten and crowned with thorns and finally crucified. And we have to know that because that's what the Word of God in 1 Timothy 3 calls the mystery of godliness. The awesome wonder of God come in the flesh to reconcile us to himself and to save us from our sins. When all human efforts, all human wisdom, all human works were in vain. That is the gospel. And the gospel as it's preached here in the incidents that are recorded in John 18. Jesus showed them 
and us who it was who would be taken to the palace of Annas, then to the palace of Caiaphas, then to the judgment hall of Pilate, and finally to Golgotha, where he was crucified. But Jesus also, and that's the other reason for what he did, Jesus also shows us here what he told us and his disciples in John 10 about his death on the cross, that it was an act of his own and an act of perfect obedience to God. An act in which he was doing what God had sent him to do. An act of his own in which he was fulfilling his own words in John 17. Of that which thou gavest me, I have lost none. It's referring there, of course, to the fact that his elect, and you and I count ourselves by grace among them, that his elect were given to him in eternity by his Father, given to him to redeem and justify and save from their sins. Beautiful way to describe election, isn't it? Election isn't just God choosing you or me. But election is God in eternity giving me, giving you to Christ to be redeemed and saved by him. And because this was all determined and foreordained by God, Jesus came in the fullness of time and went to the cross to do, to do down to the last small detail what God had determined and decreed, to do everything that was necessary for our salvation. But that's what I want you to understand this evening that amazing gospel truth that Jesus' death is an act of his own and an act of perfect obedience to the eternal will of God. We all know that Jesus' death is payment, atonement, Propitiation, those are some of the words the Bible uses to describe his death. For sin. Our sins 
deserve all that he suffered on our behalf, the punishment that he suffered, including, as we confessed this evening in the Apostles' Creed, his going to hell, not to the place, but going in the sense that he suffered all the anguish and torments of hell. But that's only one part of what Jesus did. And if that's all you think of when you think of his death on the cross, then you're missing something very, very important about his death has to do with the fact that his death was an act of his own, an act of perfect, unswerving obedience to his heavenly Father. Let me try to explain that. You see, beloved, when you and I sin, and as we were just saying, Punishment follows, and follows because God is just. But if God is ever to be satisfied with us as sinners, to receive us once again, that there must be something more. Our disobedience, our sin, has to have a substitute. What we, if I may put it that way, what we stole from God and steal from him when we disobey and sin has to be repaid for the glory and honor and praise of God who created us. We can never, ever, of course, do that ourselves. Our best works, Scripture assures us, are but filthy rags. And all that we do can never, ever substitute for all the disobedience. If you think of it as a debt, how can I, with my own imperfect works, pay all that past debt of disobedience and sin, never, ever can I restore what I've taken away. But that's what Christ's obedience is all about. He restores what he did not take away by his perfect obedience. Renders to God an obedience that's not only perfect, 
But because it's the obedience of God's only begotten Son, is able to be a substitute for all my disobedience and sin. So that it really is in the sight of God as though I never had or had committed any sin. As though I've lived a life of perfect, unswerving obedience to him. That's what the obedience of Christ is all about. I think you children can understand that. When you disobey your parents, then you not only disobey them, of course, but you disobey God, who gave them their authority over you. Someone has to obey them in your place and make that up to the God of heaven and earth. And our Lord Jesus Christ does that for children as well as for adults by his perfect obedience. By his obedience breaks your heart, doesn't it? By his obedience even unto death. By an obedience that had to face such suffering that he sweat blood in the garden. By an obedience that brought him to the cross, and not only to the cross, but to hell. on your behalf and on mine. That's what this is all about. A reminder of the fact that Jesus' death on the cross is not just payment for sin, punishment for sin, but that perfect obedience which alone can substitute for your disobedience and sin and for mine. When I come here to Dune, then some of you remind me of my past sins. And that's, I don't mind that. But you understand, Christ had to obey in my place because of that, as well as in yours. When I'm not a good husband, not a good father, and fail in those callings, then there has to be a substitute for that, one who offers himself 
in perfect obedience to the will of his heavenly Father. Because I never did. And so Christ shows them. First by putting them on their faces before himself. And then by surrendering himself into their hands. That it was not their will, but the will of his Father and his own will that was being done by way of making a perfect atonement for the sins of his people. And that all too, as scripture tells us, is by way of fulfilling his own statement. You'll find it in John 17. Them which thou gavest me have I lost not. There isn't anyone for whom Jesus did what he did here in the garden, who will stand before God in the judgment day and who will hear God say, your disobedience and sin was just too much. But we will be received even in that great day when every thought, every word, Every deed is reviewed for the sake of what Christ did when he laid down his life in obedience to God. And so it was from here to the palace of Annas and then to Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin, then to Pilate, and then to the cross. Always, always, not because he was in the hands of wicked men, although that's true too, but because he was doing the will of his heavenly Father. That's what you must see in the rest of the story. In the story of that suffering and agony, which is more than you and I can comprehend. None of the ransomed ever knew or ever will know how deep were the waters our Lord went through. How dark was the night our Lord went through. Ere he found his sheep that was lost. But it was in perfect obedience and in love. Amazing, incomprehensible love for you and for me that he did 
all this. Showing himself here in the garden to be the one who directed and controlled the events that were taking place. To be the Son of God with power. The one who was able, as he said, who had the power to lay down his life and to take it again on our behalf. And he did that that you might believe in him as I trust you do. God grant it. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for the good news of the gospel, for the suffering of our Savior, and thank Thee, too, that He was willing to suffer all the shame and reproach of the cross, to suffer hell for our sakes, and in doing so to render thee an obedience which will stand forever as our acceptance with thee. Forgive us for what we have spoken and heard sinfully this evening, for we can only stammer and stutter imperfectly of these things. But write them, Father, by thy Spirit in our hearts, that our trust may be now and forever, not in ourselves or in the arm of man, but in him to whom we belong by grace to our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.